Real estate is competitive and many agents hold successful strategies close to their chest, but not great agents and certainly not me. I'm here to help you succeed. I'm Chris Heller with this week's episode of the Agent Advice Podcast. Everyone in the industry knows agents need a way to make smarter decisions based on data and real reviews, not just sales pitches. Hi, it's Chris Heller and the Agent Advice Podcast. Uh, I'm Chief Real Estate Officer at Ojo Labs. And today, I'm super excited with our guest, uh, Mr. Jason Edwards. Jason, welcome. Hey, everybody. How you doing, Chris? Doing good. Um, and the reason I'm excited is... We've both been in the business a long time. We, um, yeah, I got in a little before you, but we, we were both lucky enough it, it, early on in our careers to, to get connected to a trainer slash mentor that really helped us achieve our goals and achieve at a high level. And, um, and so I, I want to talk about that. But I also want to talk about, and I'm excited because today, uh, or is it today or yesterday that your, your book launched? Yesterday was official date. Yesterday was official date. All right, so we're so yeah. we're hot off the press. But, um, <laughs> Jason wrote a, a, a book, and I was uh, fortunate enough to get to an electronic copy of it ahead of time. Um, the top producer life, and uh, I have read a lot of real estate books. And one of the things that I I really like, one of the things you do in your book, and it's one of the things I really like about it, is you really go you go pretty deep. You know, not into not just into um, you know the, the the techniques and tactics, but sort of the mindset that's behind them. And mm-hmm. I think that's where a lot of a lot of agents miss the mark. You know, they there's trainings out there, there's things that they understand or that they're told or taught, but it's really connecting the dots with the right mindset to be able to 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 do the things that agents need to do to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, is that is that sort of how you just approached it from you know your own career? Yeah, well, well, thank you. I'm I'm glad you like it. That's that's my, it's my first book, so you know you, you kind of take a chance and put it out there and you, and uh, just kind of wait and see what happens. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you and I, Chris, we I I like how you said that. I've I've never thought of it this way before, but we're lucky enough to come from a time in our industry's history where um, we weren't overly distracted by technology because back in those days, a fax machine with rolly paper was like the technology, <laughs> you know, and uh, we, we were still there. And uh, so the world was a lot slower. And I, and I believe that one of the advantages of starting at the, at that time was because the world moved slower, we didn't, we, we had time to slow down and absorb some of these classic timeless um methodologies and sales principles from, you know, the, the people that were active and working with real estate agents at the time. And um, that's one of the reasons I wrote the book is because the world is sped up so fast that I didn't want, I didn't want the, what I experienced, the, that knowledge and, and um, those methodologies to be lost to, um, uh, you know, just to, just to, un- people who think that you know, if you get a million Instagram followers, you're going to sell a bunch of houses, you know, it just doesn't work that way. Right. Um, so, so that, that, that message needed to be carried on to a new generation. And that was the starting place for writing the book. Yeah. Well, I think, um, I think you accomplished that. And, you know, I get asked, I get asked this question a lot. Um, and and I'll, I'll ask it to you is, 
you know, what advice do you give to a new agent? And when the first place my mind goes to is the things that I learned way back then, you know, pre pre internet, um, mm-hmm. and the sales tech, the, the sales mindset and the, and the activities, although our industry has changed dramatically and, and technology has advanced things and, and created a lot of leverage and, and a lot of great tools for us to use as agents. Right. I, I think that some of those same foundational things are just, just as applicable and appropriate today as they were back then. Do you, do you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. So when uh, I talk to new agents all the time, and uh, one of the first things that I try to help them understand is that um, the people who succeed understand what the job is, what their real job is. And the job is to generate leads period, end of story. So many people, even veterans get it confused and they think that their job is to sell houses. But at some point, top producers learn that houses sell themselves and that getting a listing or working with a buyer is the reward side of the equation. If you do your job, which is to generate leads, then your reward is you'll get a listing or your reward is you'll get to work with a buyer and go show houses. And it's no different than, you know, I've had a few clients outside of the real estate industry for my coaching practice. And one, my intellectual property attorney from Austin, um, left his big law firm and wanted to start his own private law practice and came to me for help because he realized, oh, I don't know how to sell, you know, and he, you know, he wants to go help people with, with law and that's, he can do that. But if he doesn't know how to generate leads and how to schedule appointments and get signatures and actually take in a client in the right way, then he doesn't get to practice law. So anytime you own a business of any kind, you, the first thing you have to know is that what is your job? The job is generate leads and everything will flow from that. And so, um, yeah. So that's, I think you said, what do you talk to, what do you say to new agents? Um, that's the first yeah. thing. All right. Well, you're, you're definitely speaking my language. So <laughs> the, um, the, a, a lot, you know, and you alluded to this today, there's, there's so many ways of, of doing the business. There's so many tools, there's so many programs, platforms, products for agents to use. And I really, I actually feel sorry for, for new agents um, because unless they have the right guidance, it's, it's really easy to get lost and, and if oh, yeah. you don't get off to the right, you know, when we started, I, it feels like it was more of a level playing field. You know, mm-hmm. there, there were only so many ways to do things. And, and now that's, right. you know, that's increased dramatically. Um, you know, one of the things that you know, I want all the agents and brokers that are watching this to know is not only did you have a, a very successful real estate business in, in Austin, Texas, um, which, by the way, you sold that in and of itself is a success because very few agents have been successful in selling their businesses. So we may yeah. want to chat about that. Um, sure. But you also went on to train a lot of agents all over the country mm-hmm. and, and coach agents. What are some of the things that, that you learned that when you really stop and slow down and think about it, it's like sort of surprises you that because you were in it every day, you, you didn't maybe think about much? That's a really good question. Um, Here's what immediately came to mind. When I sold my practice to another agent, which was, it's still rare, but it it was rare then. And I didn't know what I was doing. Looking back, I think I just, uh, part of it was dumb luck and uh, maybe street smarts. I don't know. But um, 
when I when I left my Austin, Texas real estate bubble, and and by the way, it even back then it was a bubble. Austin has always been such a weird, resilient real estate market compared to everywhere else in the country, which would swing wildly back and forth. Um, that I had to learn um, that not every, not everything was like Austin. And uh, but then then what I learned is that when you become a coach. You, you sort of, um, well, well, let me say this. When you become a coach who flies in and then leaves, you start to hear things from people that they wouldn't tell someone in their own office. Like the fact that I would get on a plane at the end of the day and leave and go to a different city created this little bubble of safety. Like I couldn't gossip about them in their own market because I wouldn't be there. So Chris, I would hear all kinds of stuff. Like people would come up to me as, and I, here I am thinking naively, I'm just going to teach you about salesmanship. And from the very, I remember the very first time, uh, Joe Williams, when he, when he heard I was approved to be a trainer for Floyd, he said, you're going to, to my offices in North Carolina or Cary, North Carolina. I didn't even know that where that was, but I was willing to go. Right. So, so Joe sent me out there. And after the very first session, his, a couple of his agents cornered me and they asked me what I should be do, what 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 advice I would have to with their husbands that they were having problems with. And I'm like, what? I don't <laughs> I don't give you advice. Like I'm not qualified to talk about your family life. But you know, really, what happens is you just kind of. Um, I learned that coaching is, and and training is um, sort of like an exaggerated form of sales, where you're creating a safe space for people to do the work that they need to do. Um, to advance in whatever area they need, they need to advance in. And so you just honor that. Um, and I also learned what I think is really important, Chris, is that um, because our industry is very, um, I say, I mean this in a kind way, but it is what it is. It's a very ego-driven business. And part of that comes from people get into the real estate business and they think they automatically have to project this instant image of success. Yeah. This is another thing I'll tell new agents. It's like, when you're when you're new, you don't have to act like you're a rock star right away because guess what? We know you're not. Everybody knows. So just be proud that you're new. And by the way, when you become a coach, you learn that the quote unquote rock, rock stars, they might, they might have a lot of volume, but they also might be broke. Yeah. And I, I remember standing in a crowd of people with the number one producer in the state of tennis, the whole state, grabbed my hand. And in tears, admitted that she was facing bankruptcy and that um, I was going to help her out of it. <laughs> so, of course, she was going to I could be the trainer. She was going to do all the work. But I think it's important for new people to know um, that you don't have to project this image of success right away because those that you think are successful may not be. And yeah. um, if you are successful uh, or if, you, if you're seen as successful, like if you're a top producer, listening to this right now and you're getting awards for production volume but your business on the back end is a mess it's okay to approach people for help like you don't you don't have to like keep up this image and you know get to a place where you resent the entire industry and try to keep up like there there are people that can help so yeah um and yeah, you, you hit on a couple of really good points um the, I guess, well, here's, here's a question that I'm, I want to ask before I lose it. And that is, mm -hmm. you interacted with a lot of different agents, a lot of different states, a lot of different trainings. What are some of the characteristics 
of, of, of the agents that you saw that, that went from, you know, new and relatively inexperienced to becoming very successful? What are some of those common characteristics or traits? Uh, well, um, first of all, I would say that they were willing to um, embrace the idea that they were a salesperson. Um, I've not seen very many people at all who have succeeded in this business who have, have tried to run away from that label um, in any form or fashion. So what that means then is that they would not get tripped up with their thinking and they would just go out and talk to people and that they were willing to go on appointments. So um, people that would hide behind screens and hide behind technology and just kind of, you know, it's like, it's like how many times have we seen people who talk constantly about getting a license? And then the second that they get their license, they, it's like a zipper comes with it. And it's like, they put it on their mouth and then they never talk about real estate again. And they say, well, I don't want to, I don't want to be seen as a salesperson when like just the week before they couldn't shut up about it. Yeah. So, so one of the, the, the that, that's the first thing that came to mind is that the people who make it are willing to, um, uh, to continue that pattern of talking to people and develop their skills. Uh, and then the next thing is that um, people who make it understand what to do with a lead when they get it. So in the book, I talk about the conversion chain, and it's just my way of helping people understand what to do with a lead. Because when I'm in a, in a coach, pure coaching role, Chris, what, what commonly happens, um, I'm sure you've seen this constantly as well, is people get a lead, but then they, uh, they because it, they don't know what to do with it, they blow it. So I don't know that salespeople, realtors in the United States are suffering from a bunch of leads, but I do think uh, a lack of leads, but I do think they might be suffering from lack of knowledge on, or clarity on what to do with it. And so the conversion chain is when, when something comes in as a digital, like these days, it's usually a text-based form of communication. Yeah. The first goal is to convert them to a phone call. That's it. You don't want to try to get a client. You don't want to try to go way ahead of things. Just get them on the phone because business is still done on the phone. So that's another characteristic of what people who make it understand is you have to use your voice. You have to be able to open your mouth and talk to people. Yeah, I think there's a, I think there's a distinction there. A, a lot of times agents, especially newer ones, <clears throat> believe that, that a text message or an email is communicating. Right. And I'll, and I'll get, and I'll have agents and you do too, they'll ask you questions. They'll send you a text and, and it's maybe a, a thread of a conversation they're having. And they'll say, what do you suggest? And more times than not, my response is, I suggest you call them and have a conversation with them. You're not right. able to handle this through text messages. Um, right. It's too much that gets, you know, that's too, too, mu too much room for interpretation or misinterpretation. Um, and you need to be able to hear you know, the, the tonality and, and the emotion of, of, you know, where that person is to be able to effectively, you know, help them in whatever the situation is. Oh, absolutely. I think what happens is we get personal culture confused with business culture. So when I'm just like setting things up with my friends to go to happy hour, dinner, whatever, it's very natural these days just to text and not call each other and then do all the talking in person. And in a social context, that works. But in business, especially when someone, you know, is, is you're working with anywhere between half a million to $3 million or more of someone's money, you just don't want to do that on text message. So, yeah. you know, you get them on the phone and then 
What's the goal? You know, if you're working with leads, when you're on the phone, your only goal is to schedule an appointment because then you yeah. got to get face to face. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I, yeah, I agree. And then I want to go back to something you said earlier, too, that, that um, I think is really important. Especially for new agents that are also young, mm-hmm. I think they feel um, as, as an insecurity and, and are, are, are very concerned about how they're going to be perceived. Like, mm-hmm. I don't have like they're not valid or they don't have validity. And in mm-hmm. I want to remind people what you said, and that is it, it, it's okay to let people know that you're new. When I think back and you reminded me, my very first listing, the reason I got it, because he had already decided on, you know, it was a for sale by owner. He'd already interviewed agents, already decided on the, the top producers that he was going to list with. And I, this was such, I was so persistent. He finally said, all right, I'll at least talk to you. And, <laughs> but me telling him that he was going to be my first client and that I had made the decision, this was going to be my career, and I was going to do whatever it took to be successful, I think caused him to go, okay, I'm going to give this kid a chance. Oh, um, yeah. And if I had tried to pretend that I knew it all and I was experiencing everything else, he would have seen right through it and yep. would have hired those other agents. Yep, exactly. Sorry. Well, when I was new, if this helps anybody uh, out there listening, is I, I was the dude, I saw an acne all over my face. You know, I had the uh, a Chevy S10 pickup with the, like the rolly windows, you know, and I was scared to death to take a buyer in my car. Cause if you rolled the window on the passenger side, then it, like the glass would go down into the door. And not go back up. <laughs> and, yeah, it was a huge mess. And so anyway, I, I was, I was definitely a hot mess, but I did. And I did find uh, a, uh, a niche and that was people who were like, when I was 18, if I could, if I could find people who were like at that time would be my grandparents age, you know, a couple generations older uh, and, and go on listing appointments uh, with that group of people, like for sale by owners, expired listings was a, a really great way to get started at that age. Um, what I learned is two things. They sort of really enjoyed this idea of giving the youngster a start. And they weren't so worried that I was going to mess anything up because by that time they had probably been through two or three transactions themselves over their lifetime or more. So they kind of knew what was going on. It's not like this was their, their first house. So I think they had confidence that if the young kid messed it up, they'd be able to fix it for me. (laughs) And um, you know, plus Plus for young, for young people, not just young people, but young and, and new people at any age, remember, it's not just you, um, unless you are a broker, which in most states you can't start as a broker, um, you're doing the business in the name of your broker anyway. So from a legal perspective, it's not your client, it's your broker's client. And so you have the benefit of your, you know, three months of experience plus the hundreds of years of experience that surround you on your team. And I think that people lose the lose sight of that these days. Yeah. Hey, well, let's, let's shift gears for a minute. Let's, let's talk about sure. the, um, sure. let's start at the beginning, the title, you know, was it, did, was that, was the title just there or was that something you really had to work on? I really had to work on it. So, okay. The, you want to know what is, what was going to be called at first? Yeah. <laughs> the, the first title, which I'm so glad I didn't go with was going to, it was going to be called get a real job. <laughs> <laughs> and so, I, I, I actually kind of like that. Um, well, okay. The, so the, I'm, I'm glad you do. <laughs> yeah. The, um, 
there's a uh, look. There's a lot of people that get into real estate um, with under the premise of they don't want a real job, and then they get into real estate and find out that unless you treat it like a real job, you won't be successful. Right. Well, and there's nothing worse for someone who's been in the business for uh, a, a you know twelve to twelve to eighteen months to go home after not selling after not bringing in any commission income and hear a loved one say to them, "Honey, don't you think it's time to get a real job?" You know, and so it, so what I, everybody in real estate knows what I mean when I say that, but I just felt like the title was a bit too snarky. And so what I, I, I had to think, what do I really believe? Well, what I really believe is that people get into the business with this idea of what they want their life to be like, and they've chosen to get a license and help other people and use real estate brokerage as a vehicle to create their version of a top producer life. Then we get into the business, Chris, and we all fall victim. I mean, I, I fell victim victim to it for a time of thinking that top producer means you're either number one in your office or you have the most volume. And, and these days it's, it's even worse. Like in Austin, Texas, if you're not closing $50 million a year, you're like a low producer, like what's wrong with you. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a problem because if you get into corporate America, you take a single mom who's able to make 150 or 200,000 a year and she's a rock star. But in real estate, it's like <laughs> you don't even get an award for, you know, for what yeah. that production level would mean. So so the the title the top producer life is alluding to this fact that you can be proud of learning what you need to learn to build your own version of a top producer life and then get about being, you know, a complete human being and not someone who is, you know, who has become completely identified with being a realtor 24 seven, because that's really yeah. no fun for anybody. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And so, so, you, and did you do, did you come up with the title before you started or after the book was written or what was the. So get a real job was the working title for almost to the very end. And it just bothered me. It bothered me so much. And then finally one day I'm walking along the beach with my dog and um, like I, I just I'm just going to get my mind as quiet as possible and just see what pops in there. And the top producer life popped in there. And it, as soon as I thought of it, I'm like, that's it. There was no question anymore. Awesome. So in the book, you go into you, you go into into pretty deep detail, you know, and what it's really like. Like, like anyone that reads that book is that's in the business is going to go. Yeah, this is this is it. And someone who's reading it, who's thinking about getting in business, is going to come away with a really, not only, not only a good foundation, but a pretty good understanding of things that normally it would take them a long time to discover or figure out or to learn on their own. Uh, was there was there like a goal in mind with with what you want to accomplish with this book? Like, you want someone that read it to come away with? Yes. Um, and th that was very nice of you to say. So thank you for that, um, Chris. The, what I wanted them to come away with, um, the, the goal was there are three main areas of business that I, I wanted to present them in sort of a macro type of way so that if someone could focus on getting these three areas of their business in the proper balance, that um, there's a lot of complication in this business that they don't have to worry about. So for example, I would see agents from all production levels um, these days get distracted um, in ways that you and I never got distracted in the beginning. Like every time a new technology comes along, then, then agents think that they have to somehow now master video ads or social media 
every every social media platform that comes along now they have to master that and and all those things those things are great um when you when you put so much focus on marketing tactics you're you're starving yourself of the benefits of other macros and so i wanted so okay so let me try to see if i can make this simpler for everybody so if anybody watches the video version of this, this was the first version of the book, 175,000 words. And I just dumped all of the things I could think of in, into this book it, it, out on paper first, and then cut it into a fourth until we got into that actual book. And one part that didn't make it into the book that my editor took out uh, um, is this really in-depth comparison to nutrition. So uh, my partner is a personal trainer. And so fitness and nutrition is very important to us. And I think, isn't your wife in that, in the no. fitness business no. as well? Okay, so, so then th this won't surprise you. So, so when I was, um, if you'll indulge me for a second here, I'll try to be quick about the story. Um, when I was about to turn 40, I was really, it was really important to me personally to have six pack abs because I never had had that in my youth and I just wanted it. And I wanted to prove that I could do it at 40 you know, when it's much harder than when you're 20. <laughs> and I learned that it had nothing to do with what I was doing in the gym. It had to do with my diet. And I learned to manipulate what are called macronutrients, which are fat, carbs, and protein. And if I, and, and if I understood those, then I could, I could manipulate my body and make it do anything I wanted it to do pretty quickly. Okay. So I went through that whole lesson. And then one day, just it just, um, I just sort of like, it was a message that was channeled to me, Chris, I was in coach in coaching sessions with, with my clients. And I just wondered like, can, can I help them? What if I experimented on them and they didn't know it, what would be the business equivalent of nutrition macros? And so I just started playing around for a couple of years with people. And it turns out that the same concept works. And the three business macros are your mindset, your sales methodologies, and your um, uh, marketing marketing tactics. So, so let so, me stop you there. One so, of the three, which one do you, would you say is the is the most important? Uh, well, definitely the mindset. So, the mindset would be you could be a brilliant salesperson, and you could spend a bunch of money on social media and generate a ton of leads. But if your head's screwed up, you blow it every time, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I definitely couldn't agree, with, couldn't agree with you more. And right, so, so, those are the, so those are the three, the three areas. Mm -hmm. And so, so take us through the, how you, how you used what you, you know, discovered with nutrition and how you applied that to, the, to these sure. regions. So that is the most important because, um, so like comparing that to nutrition, that would be the fat equivalent. You know, if you, if your body doesn't get the right kind of healthy fats, then you're going to have all kinds of inflammation and eventually it'll manifest as disease in your body. And the reason we know this is the most important in nutrition is because, you know, when you eat too much, too many calories, your, your body, your, your butt doesn't get carved, your butt gets fat, right? <laughs> so your body is saying, I'm going to store fat because fat is the most important nutrient. So, so the same thing in business, if, if you don't, if you don't know, and, and so in the book, we go into a lot of detail about what, what, what that really means to pay attention to mindset. It's not it's not just journaling. It's not just affirmations. All those, those things are important. It's the application of your thought process into behavior during um, any given day. Okay. So um, when you hear a lot of trainers talk about like the perfect schedule or, or whatever, um, or the, 
the ideal day, uh, the perfect morning routine, all of that is tied into mindset. It's not, it's not a separate thing. And so we spend a, a huge chunk of the first, the first section of the book, helping people understand how to apply that to the business of real estate. Um, the, which I think is, I, I, I was just so glad to see you do that because it's, it's, it's how I succeeded and it's how I've seen most of the top agents succeed. You know, that 90% of what it takes is really what's happening up here. Um, and, and like you said, it's more than just a good attitude or affirmations. It's really on a, on a moment by moment basis that allows you to do the activities or causes you to do the activities that you should be doing. Right. So, so in, in the book, we talk a little bit about how to manage your emotions. You know, mindset is not simply about, you know, saying affirmations and pretending the world is happy-go-lucky all the time. Um, but it's learning about how to deal with all of the different emotions that are going to come when you're uh, building your real estate practice and making sure that those don't um, knock you for a loop. Yeah. And uh, that's something that's just not taught. It's, it's not taught anywhere in school. Our parents don't teach us this. And um, so those of us who have figured it out, I think, have an obligation to further that on to everyone else that they can. Yeah. So in case anyone's going to tune out before we finish, the name of the book, where can they get it? Is there a website or they just go to Amazon? Absolutely. It's on Amazon. So it's on a paperback. It's on Kindle version. Uh, a couple more weeks, we'll have the audio version. And if you want to learn, you know, if you want to get more in-depth information about the book, just go to topproducerlife.com and uh, you can you can get more details about it. And then it'll also link you directly to Amazon from there too. So it's, um, it's interesting. So I've had other friends write books, but none of them have created an audio version. So are you doing that yourself or did you hire someone to do that? Uh, yes, and I mean, I'm, I've self-published this, so in, in that way, it is myself done by myself. But um, because I live in Santa Barbara, I have um, this unique opportunity to go into a recording studio that Rob Lowe's been in, that Oprah Winfrey's been in, Ellen lives around the road, she did her audio version there. So it's this awesome guy who's just a local, a local engineer who helps, you know, helps you do whatever it is. I mean, I haven't done it yet, so I don't know. He's going to guide me right through it. And I'm just going to sit there and read, read the book myself. And then he'll, he'll tell me what's next. <laughs> that's, that's exciting. Sounds like it'd be yeah. fun. And so let's, let's talk about the process of writing a book. Um, okay. Did you enjoy it? Uh, yes, very much so. Um, I enjoyed it every bit as much as I enjoy speaking live. And, and I didn't expect that to happen. Yeah. And what was the, what was the hardest part? The hardest part was the very beginning. So I, I got a, a writing uh, a writing coach to help me through this um, because a lot of people start with a blank screen and an idea and they start writing and that's a huge mistake. That's what I'd done several times before in years past and, and I never had a book and the coach is like, well, no wonder you, you don't do it that way. So what you do is you take your idea for your book and you flush out a complete outline from beginning to end which no one wants to do. And now I get it because it's so hard. If you have to force yourself to sit there and think through your complete idea from beginning to end and everything in between, right? And just write it all out. And it took me two weeks of every day, like eight or nine hours a day doing nothing but just for two weeks, writing out the stupid outline. And I almost gave up, but because I had a coach, he encouraged me to keep going. And I mean, seriously, I was this close, Chris, to giving up. And then, um, and he said, okay, now that's done. Here's all I want you to do. Now open your Word document 
the Google Doc or whatever, and look at bullet point by bullet point on your outline. It's one at a time. And just what do you want to say about that bullet point? Put your hands on the keys and just write. And um, so I did it. And then I've had two mentors in my life uh, who have also been really successful writers, uh, Floyd Wickman um, and um, uh, Dr. Dyer. And uh, before he passed away, uh, both of those gentlemen, they don't know each other. They gave me the same advice, interestingly enough. And that was to write how you speak. I said, hey, if I ever write a book, what's your number one piece of advice? And they said, just write how you speak. So I did. And when I was done, that's why I was joking with you earlier. I had 175,000 words, but I didn't know. I didn't know what was that a lot? Was that not enough? I had no clue. So I, I, then I took it to my editor. She's like, yeah, you wrote like three books. You're going to have to cut that in like at least half. <laughs> so what I don't know what I'm going to do. You could have made three books out of it. Um, I know. Maybe yeah. we can. I don't, I don't know what to do with the stuff that we cut yeah. out. It's just hanging out there. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> I want to go back to, you know, you got my mind going about this concept of salespeople. You know, there's, if you look at agents' business cards, you mm-hmm. will see lots of different titles. Like mm-hmm. an advisor, a consultant, a, a VP of, of, of whatever, a director, this or that. Um, a lot of agents actually put a lot of effort into not being considered by themselves or by someone else as a salesperson. Mm-hmm. Why do you think? I think it's because people um, are, uh, well, two reasons. I think that for a lot of us, when we grow up, we absorb un- unconsciously um, attitudes and opinions about sales, per, uh, sales, salespeople. So if you ever, if you ever were a child and you heard your mom or dad complain about a salesperson, then no wonder you don't want to be one when you grow up. Yeah. So, um, and, and so what do you do about that? Well, I mean, as, as a child, sometimes you unconsciously absorb all kinds of things, but once you become a salesperson, then you have to find your way to overcome that limiting mindset one way or another. Um, and um, so I think that's part of it. But then um, beyond that, another thing that I've discovered in coaching is that when people are so worried about being seen as a salesperson, Chris, it's because of an overabundance of concern of what other people think of them. Yeah. You know, it's, and, and, and uh, there's, this is a hard thing for some people to hear, but when, when you're walking around worried about being seen as a salesperson, it's really a selfish type of behavior. It's, you know, it's like, oh, please, uh, uh, you know, um, don't think of me as a salesperson. It's like, wh- it's not about you. Like, stop, take the focus off of you. Put your focus on your client. Like, who cares what you feel what you, in that moment, right? Yeah. And, um, and I think this really sunk in for me when, uh, when I was being coached by Dr. Dyer and, and he was, he was, we were talking about reputation and whether you should worry about your reputation or not. And he was very strongly opposed to having any concern about your reputation because worrying about your reputation presumes that you can control what other people are thinking. And the truth is, is they're going to think what they're going to think about you no matter what you do. Yeah. Your, re- your reputation is not within you. It's without you. So what's left, just do as good of a job as you can for people, be a good person, develop your character and, and you'll be good. 
you know? I think, I, I think that it also, well, it doesn't matter what I think. Let me ask you. Do you think mm -hmm. that um, the agents that do have that aversion to considering themselves a salesperson or this a sales career, um, do you think that hurts them in, in achieving what, they, what they're capable of achieving? Yeah, because the, all, every second they're worried about um, being seen as a salesperson is um, energy that's not directed towards activities where they could be out in the field helping people. Yeah. Um, sometimes I'll help people think of it this way. The more time you you're sitting there worried about yourself, the less time you're able to connect with people who need you. Yeah. You know, there's, there's how many, how many billions of people are on this planet. And if you've decided to get into, into real estate, there's somebody in your marketplace that needs you, you know, um, there might be another quote unquote top producer in your office or your company or your city, but they can't serve everybody. Yeah. And not everybody likes them. <laughs> There's going to be plenty of buyers and sellers that would prefer to work with you. So you have to work with, either through a coach or a therapist or whatever you need to do to get over it and then get out there and get about the business of helping people who are just waiting for you to show up. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Um, when you wrote the book, did you have a specific type of agent in mind that you that you were like thinking about? This is I'm writing this for this type of agent. Is it someone you know that hasn't gotten in the business yet? Someone who's at the beginning of their career? That's a good question. Well, yes. Yeah, so, have you heard of uh, client avatars? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I have my avatars now. So for 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 people who haven't heard of that concept, so an avatar is a representation of your ideal client. Yeah. And so with my own coach, I went, you know, actually twice a year, we'll go through um, uh, this workshop where we spend significant time thinking about who our ideal client is. Um, and then so I, I'll write it out. It's uh, this kind of this kind of person, this age, this kind of background coming into business for these reasons, you know, write all that out. And then I give them names. So my avatars have names that are based on real people. And when I you know, uh, whenever I feel discouraged or need to work on my own mindset and get out of my own way, stop being selfish myself. Um, one thing I'll do is just think about my avatars. I'll think of the names. So, uh, Isabel, Zach, and Catherine, Cat are their names. So these are real clients of mine from the past, but when I think of them in this context, I'm not thinking about those actual people. I'm thinking about people like them. So yeah. if I get discouraged, I'm like, you know what? There's a cat out there that needs me. There's a Zach out there that needs me. And they represent people in the business who I truly enjoy helping. And so when it comes to like an, an agent persona or avatar, is it, is it someone like, is your hope, if you could have anyone read the book, who would you want to read it? Oh my gosh. Is it someone who's considering getting into the business, someone who's made the decision and they haven't yet done it or someone who's already in it? Is all, is all of those people a good all answer? Is that, is that, is that, is that example too? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I say all of them because, you know, I, I'll be honest with you. When I first started coaching so many years ago, I was a little bit intimidated by People, you know, I mean, I came from Austin, Texas, so I'd fly out to California and, you know, back then they already had $100 million producers and I was a little bit intimidated by that. But over time you learn and you grow yourself. And um, 
you know, I enjoy working with someone who manages a large team equally as much as I enjoy working with someone who, you know, is basically broke and spending their last dime to get started in this business. Now I'm, I'm, I obviously am going to be doing vastly different things with those two people, but I, I, I authentically enjoy both ends of the spectrum. And, um, you know, I've even worked with, you know, large regional companies where I've, basically the entire company has been my client and that's, that's yet another level of coaching. That's, that's pretty fun. Cool. So one more time, how can people find the book? Oh, cool. Thanks for asking again. It's topproducerlife.com. Or if you're on Amazon, just go to Amazon it's there too. All right. Well, Jason Edwards, um, I can't wait for the audio version because I've been, I have, a, I, have I have four kids. My oldest one's an agent in Austin, Texas. Nice. Dad can't give her any advice, but she <laughs> might listen to an audio book. That gives her good advice. So she will absolutely copy of that when it's done. That's what that, I appreciate that. I'll make sure you're the first to have it. And and brokers out there too. I used to hear this when I'd fly around a lot. Jason, as soon as you fly in here, you're saying the same thing I would always tell people. They won't listen to me. They'll listen to you. I'm like, I'm, it's just a weird thing about humans. So if you're a broker and your agents won't listen to you, give them my book. <laughs> All right. Well, Jason Edwards, thank you for taking the time to share with everyone. Uh, I'm Chris Heller. This is the Agent Advice Podcast, and we'll see everyone next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Agent Advice Podcast. And remember, you can use agentadvice.com as a free resource. Just as the name suggests, it's written by agents for agents. That's all the time we have today. Thank you, and we look forward to hearing you and seeing you next time.